Turbo Alper, the 200 Brands, and Carson Stooley. This is Fangraphs Audio, my guest on this edition of Fangraphs Audio, substituting for Dave Cameron, uh, who made three appearances on the podcast last week. It is unequivocally exhausted. Dave Cameron is unequivocally exhausted. Uh, in his place is Jeff Sullivan, a senior editor of Fangraphs. In what follows, Sullivan discusses, for example, the White Sox and their recent moves and what it's done for them as a team, uh, his experience at this year's winter meetings, and also uh, largely apropos of nothing, one of his roommates from college. His career dream was that he wanted to grow up and own a business that erected uh, tents for corporate events in fields. It's Fangraphs Audio. It features senior editor of Fangraphs, Jeff Sullivan, and it begins right now. USB, what it, USB, USB plug. Uh huh. Is that what you call it? What, what, what would you call it? Oh uh, yeah, that, that's that's good. So I put them into my computer, and the first time I plug them in, it, my computer um, it produces a small graphic that says USB device not recognized, and this happens yep. every time. Yep. And then what happens next is I unplug them. I unplug mm-hmm. the speakers. And then I immediately plug them back in, uh-huh. and they work fine. Yeah, my mouse does the same thing. Your mouse does the same thing. Exact same thing. So I was just uh, having some trouble with the microphone that I use. This is a Yeti Blue microphone, it's called. Uh-huh. And um, it was not – I plugged it in, and it said USB device not recognized. And then I plugged it in again, and it said it, said it, and it said it again. And this never happens with the microphone. But then like maybe the 17th time that I plugged it back in, it just worked. And I don't here's – here's the thing that I don't understand because now it's working fine is t- computers, um, they're essentially they're – what? They're grounded entirely in logic, right? Or ought to be? Uh, ought to be. But um, it's, it's – you know, another thing that happens sometimes is I'll turn my computer on. This happens maybe once a month uh, and it just says, oh, Windows, um, Windows did not load. And I shut it off and then it works fine. Uh-huh. That well, uh, I guess it's not too different from a car engine, right? Well, sometimes you'll you'll start your car if it's a bad car, and then it won't start, and then you'll turn the keys again, and it won't start. Then you'll turn the keys again, and it will start. Yeah, but here's here's what's different about it to me, or my perception. Not that this is uh, how it ought to be, but my car is like outside, right? Yes. My car, my car gets wet. My car gets wet. My car has oil in it. Uh-huh. You know, and so I see that there are a number of things that I know. The number of things that I know that I'm supposed to check. That like that like a um, a dad or some other sort of male guardian takes you aside one day and says, "Hey, you need to check the oil once in a while, otherwise you're gonna break down." Uh huh. And then you're like, "All right, I'll keep doing that. I don't really know what I'm doing, but I know that if I every so often I pull out the dipstick, yes, and uh, wipe it down and check the oil levels, and then I did it. But my my but is there an equivalent to oil or gasoline in a computer that would make it – because I know, oh, well, maybe the oil was weird. Maybe it was cold. That's why I didn't yeah, no, there, there should be a, a dipstick on the left side of your computer about the USB ports. What would it be testing? What, was there a fluid for which it would be testing? Or is it just like a – is this going to be like an appendix? No, it's for the oil. It's the oil in your computer. Yes. Yeah. Have you ever built a 
Yeah, the, the oil in your computer, it needs it to run properly. That's why you have to check it every so often. But you if check it's not, your maybe oil? The, on the computer, yeah. That's why I never have problems with Windows not loading. Because you, you keep it oiled up. I keep it oiled up. <laughs> All right. Yeah. No, that's good news. Usually it just absorbs the oil from your fingers. You know, like how you're not supposed to touch sculptures because of the finger oil. It'll, mm-hmm. it'll wear them down. Yeah, yeah, because you're 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 giving off uh, this. I thought you weren't supposed to touch <clears throat> touch sculptures because your um, slightly abusive West African au pair uh, would would hit you if you did. Uh, no, that's not the direct reason. <laughs> okay. All right. So there's another. There's a thing in between. There's a thing in between. Yeah. Yeah. She'll hit you because. Because you. Yeah. All right, get it. All right, that's just how growing up for me. Uh huh. My slightly abusive West African au pair. They're frequently taking you to museums to see sculptures and yeah, instructing you not to touch them. Yeah, that's right. But you touch them anyway. I really wish that was my youth. It was not. Alas, I went to public junior high. Let's talk about your youth. Uh, we don't have to. I mean, okay. let's talk really... about something else. So the Gavin Floyd signed. Yeah, he did actually. Uh, <clears throat> I want to say something about Gavin Floyd, which is today it this dovetails. To some degree, with uh, a piece that appeared at Fangraphs today. Uh-huh. And actually, did you just write about like all those guys signing? Oh, you did, huh? Yeah, Dave wanted me to do that because he's doing an MLB Network thing, and now as soon as I come into the podcast, Gavin Floyd signs, and he seems like he's made for just another little paragraph in that post, three sentences on everything that's happened. Hmm. The uh, uh, Gavin Floyd. So uh, I guess. Uh, Eno Saris did a thing today looking at Arsenal scores. Did you uh, did you have a chance to see that? It's fine uh, if you didn't. It was over at uh, Rotographs. Oh no. Yeah. Uh, so he come he invented something today called Arsenal scores, and Eno of course has done a lot of work with uh, looking at repertoires, especially uh, like how each pitch does according to major league uh, baselines for uh, swinging strike rate and ground ball rate. Yes. And he's found a way to uh, sort of uh, aggregate that information and put it into one metric, which uh, produces a score that is essentially like uh, standard deviations above the league average um, by those by those by those figures. Yes. And uh, uh, it uh, passes what I believe is called the smell test. Muster. It passes muster. And. Perhaps. Uh, insofar as, uh, especially because Carlos Carrasco is the highest n- number. He's not the best pitcher in the major leagues, although he probably was actually the best pitcher over like the last <laughs> two months of the 2014 season. Yeah, that's the thing. It makes you wonder if you're just going to end up looking at, oh, these pitchers were really good, and we can see that in their numbers. Like what Carrasco was good at was getting strikeouts and not walking people and, right. and not giving up home runs. Right. So you kind of have a number for that, and it's called war. Right. Or if <laughs> you, you might you might pronounce it a different way, war. Yeah. But but perhaps it's more granular, right? Because if a guy yes. so so if you watch a game and a guy gets a guy could get maybe he gets swinging strikes on fifteen fifteen percent of his pitches, but somehow he doesn't either he either doesn't get a lot of strikeouts or he does get he even gets the strikeouts but he otherwise uh, gives up a bunch of hits and he does well. Well, you look yeah, at I think, this one. I think we call that the Chris Capuana. Has he, has he had? Has he had? Yeah, he's one of those guys with like a, a strikeout numbers and a contact rate that just don't seem to mesh. Mm-hmm. And I think there's something there about guys who throw a lot of changeups. I think uh, will have they'll end up with a lower contact rate uh, that will not actually capture how good they are or are not. Oh, okay. Because because, because I don't know. Because you don't know. Yeah. Yeah. You don't know. Yeah, I guess. Wow, look at that. You're right with regard to 
uh, Capuano, insofar as for much of his career, he's had swinging strike rates above 10%, which is uh, which is on the high side. Yeah, and I think like Sean Markham did the same kind of thing. Maybe Randy Wolf, but I kind of confuse him with Sean Markham sometimes. Yeah, well, they were both Brewers at one point. That's for sure. Yeah. Yes, they were. They that absolutely is fact. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, is Mike Fires around there? You think? Uh, probably. Yeah. And he he fits in with the group for other reasons as well. But he, I don't know. Is is Fires a changeup guy or is he? He's got to have some, right? Because it's not his fastball. Not his fastball. Yeah. I think he's got. Yeah, I think he's got breaking ball, changeup, and high fastball. You remember Jorge Campillo of the Braves? A little bit. Yeah, a little bit. He was the same kind of guy, except. For, I think uh, I remember him. Better than you in the sense that I think his name is actually Jose Campillo. Or am I uh, right or am I wrong? No, I'm I, wrong. I think that you are wrong. I think I am wrong. So now you you have doubly, overstepped your bounds. Yeah, I have. I was. But I, I appreciate your confidence. That was good. I to, think. Uh, I, I think. I, yeah. I really. Have you to, made me wonder. Yeah, I really. Uh, yeah. Not on. Not unlike a Led Zeppelin song. It made. Yeah, it made your, me wonder. <laughs> your lie caused me to reconsider what I knew to be fact. Yeah, I know. I mean, if I had just said it a little bit more with a little bit more authority. Yeah, I wasn't even looking it up. I just kind of thought, oh, maybe I was wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so my point with regard to these Arsenal scores, you invoked Gavin Floyd. Gavin Floyd finished fourth by this uh, newly created metric. Uh, what's the the window for the metric? Is it one year? Is it three years? I think it was just it? last year. Just last year. All right. Yeah. Um, and Gavin Floyd was decent when he pitched. Yes, he was. Yeah, he was decent and uh, interesting. So I don't know what the Indians signed him for. The terms haven't come out. I just saw Buster only tweet about it. But uh, Floyd is an interesting uh, bounce back in that he had Tommy John surgery, then he came back and he pitched for the Braves, and he was missing nothing. He was pitching very well. And then he developed uh, a different elbow injury, which was a fracture of a bone I can't pronounce mm-hmm. that seems to be unrelated to the Tommy John, they say. But if you figure that he's going to be fine by spring training, which all the doctors say, and he just has this bone fracture, which you recover from, then it seems like there's there's legitimate upside here to Gavin Floyd, where maybe you think, oh, elbow injuries cost him two years in a row, but this last one maybe wasn't so big of a big of a deal. Yeah. Wow. Big, I'm, glad, I'm really glad we're getting to the Gavin Floyd news. <laughs> well, would you prefer to talk about... Well, Brandon Moore is a little more interesting, but should he be? Do we really... Well, is let, me Brandon Moore more, let me ask you a question. Jeff, because right. it's been a while since we spoke. Yes, it is. And, uh, you were not at the winter meetings. I was I not at the winter meetings, no. And so, all right, well, a couple things. I think that you will be, if it's okay with you, uh, um, there will be, re- I think uh, Dave Cameron might be hamstrung for the remainder of the month. Mm-hmm. So if, if you would uh, consent to it, I'd like to have you on a couple more times in December. I will grant you my consent. Okay, thank you. Good. I'm glad we're doing this. Is that like Antioch? <laughs> is it Antioch College or a university where you have to go through layers of consent before you can... Uh, touch your, touch a, uh, a sexual partner. Uh, yes, it is absolutely Antioch College. You know that for a fact. Yes. <laughs> well, good. You know, you've already done one thing that Dave Cameron does uh, is have um, is to have is to state an opinion um, strongly, uh, regardless of whether you know your. Well, right or not. I think I mean I know we haven't spoken for a while. But you might recall that uh, I frequently will arrive at strong, firm. Uh, conclusions based on uh, irrefutable data, and I will, I will, I'll speak my mind, and I will not. Uh, there is no need for nuance. I think yeah. uh, there's a word uh, that I don't know mm-hmm. that I'm trying to remember. Yeah, but uh, I don't remember it, so instead I'm going to allude to the fact that I am familiar <laughs> with the word, 
Uh, it is just not coming to my mind. Well, are you decisive? Presently. Is that what the word you're looking for? It's like that, but a better word. Ooh. A kind of word that you would use easily uh, no, no. in a sentence. And then I would think, oh, that's a good word. Carson yeah. said so well. Yeah, all right. Well, we'll get to it. <laughs> well, I don't we'll know if we will. Yeah, well, we'll be on for a little air for a while. I know that you feel that way about Arizona, or Phoenix in particular. Yes, yes. Uh, that is that is an opinion that I have about Phoenix. I don't think you needed a lot of data uh, in as far as Phoenix was concerned, but I do believe that all of the new data you received appeared to confirm your earliest suspicions, which is that you hate that city. Uh, yeah, I think that it's kind of like uh, you you have towns and you have opinions, and then they are informed by data. And with certain things, uh, you think of well, when does when do stats stabilize? And with some towns, you think well, maybe this is kind of like Babbitt, and it's going to take me a long time. But right. Phoenix, it's like Phoenix is throwing sixty five mile per hour fastballs, so that's just never going to play. And uh, you know that from like he's throwing sixty five, and he's not an eight year old little leaguer, mm-hmm. so this Phoenix is just going to get its ass kicked. Yeah. Uh, in the Jeff Sullivan Major Leagues of cities that exist, yeah. is uh, what are there are there cities that you've been to that you feel do require a larger sample? Uh, Minneapolis. Interesting. What were your first impressions? I mean, were they poor at first, or no? I I went in not knowing at all what to expect because I it's on the one hand it is a it's a major I don't know metropolis it's yeah. a metropolis right sure yeah uh, yeah well especially if you include yeah. uh, I mean the the oh, let's see the statistic what is it the statistical Metro statistical region, the metro. Yeah, go, keep going. Yeah, well, I'm includes St. Paul. Includes St. Paul's. Yeah, well, I guess that's why they call it Metropolis. Right. And so I went in. Nobody calls it that. And I went in, and uh, and I didn't know what to think. And I still didn't know what to think because I've only been there one time for a few days. And I was there with uh, I would I would say uh, non-representative company. Mm-hmm. And so I could stand to go back with somebody not unlike yourself, but perhaps somebody else. Actually, a person who's similar. Similar to me, but actually lives in Minneapolis is David Temple. Uh huh. Yes, that is a that is a man who who lives there who I am familiar with, and yeah. that would be interesting to go there and uh, and to be with him. Yeah. To to see the sites. To learn the sites, and he's actually, do you know, David Temple's a homeowner. That is remarkable. I it is a uh, that's one of those things that I think you're supposed to do as as an adult, yeah. and it just has never really clicked. I don't think that. At whatever age it is that you think it's time to have kids and, and buy property and essentially yeah. never have time or money to yourself anymore, yeah. that, that's never happened to me because perhaps I didn't have the father figure to be like, look, when you are yeah. 27 <laughs> years old, you need to essentially sign the remainder of your life away yeah. to, to property and to a child that that you you love in a way that you don't show ever. Before, well, sir, there's no precedent for it. Uh, yes. Your body reacts, I think, is what happens. I, of course, I don't that's have... A, that's absolutely what people say, but man, that's a hell of a risk. I know. Yeah, well, what if you get a dud kid, right? Yeah, well, it's not unlike uh, Yoan Moncada, right? Okay, Where We well, don't know how right. he's going to play in the major leagues. It's just, well, we're we're going to bid $80 million on a, a major league baseball fetus that... Uh, you you don't you... think it's a little bit more like Yosemite Tomas in the sense that... Tomas is like of of all the guys who've come out of the out of Cuba, Tomas appears actually to have like like there's so much depending on the bat, and there's probably you know there's reasonable evidence to suggest that his bat is not as good as Jose Abreu's. Uh-huh. So if you have Jose Abreu but not hitting like Jose Abreu, then you just then I mean that's dangerous because then maybe you have Michael Morse. 
Yeah, but I think with Mankata, he's young enough that you're going to have to develop him, not unlike your child. So no matter what, you've got the nature and the nurture part. And with Tomas, I think maybe you would just have more of the nature, less of the nurture. Right. He's sort of uh, programmed already. That's why I tell you, I've talked with my wife a little bit, and our real plan is just to adopt a uh, a very considerate and intelligent 17-year-old. Yes. And then you can have all of the pleasure of being around – a young person who has, you know, has a bright future, but you didn't have to do a lot of the early dirty work. You know, mm-hmm. uh-huh. I, I mean, what do you? I mean, does that that sounds like a like an intelligent plan? Don't you think? Well, I always kind of fathomed that when I got older, I would just adopt somebody who's older than me. Like maybe <laughs> when I'm 22, I'll adopt like a 29 year old successful lawyer uh-huh. and just think, well, I don't know why you were available on the market, but it looks like I got a hell of a deal. Yeah. And then you just kind of uh, I assume because the man was available in a replacement level foster home then you could uh you would essentially be buying his respect and loyalty mm-hmm. as well it would, it would take a little time to get comfortable wait sorry you, you would have to sorry you to adopted work. a 29 year old from a foster home a 29 year old lawyer who was available in the foster home. i just this is kind of what i imagined this, so, the, so you you're you're adopting a, a person a person but the person is how old 29 and is living where i maybe it's the person who runs the foster home maybe <laughs> it's like a Maybe you have the the chief of of the available children mm-hmm. uh, is actually an available person, uh, adult. Mm-hmm. And the word I was thinking of was equivocate. Uh, well, I, yeah, I seldom I seldom will equivocate. I am unequivocal in my words. You're I think I'm famous yeah. for that. My unequivocal <laughs> certain conclusions yeah, in speech right. and in written word. You are unequivocal. That's what it, yeah. that's what it says. In fact, I, uh, I know for a fact that you've already had your headstone made. And it says uh, um, he was unequivocal. I thought my headstone would read, I would not trade more than Eduardo Escobar for Cole Hamels and the Phillies fans are responsible for my being here. That was dark, and I, I would put that in different words otherwise. But I, there have been a few occasions this, uh, this offseason, this month, I don't know, this two months, where I have... Uh, been unequivocal in a couple things on Fangraphs, which is unlike myself. And then people respond to it very strongly, which I am extremely unaccustomed to. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if you have encountered this ever since your first days of Fangraphs, where I think everybody uh, hated you and didn't <laughs> yeah. belonged. But that's that's worn off. I think people now are like, oh, Carson, I know what to expect right. from this to a certain extent. Yeah. But it's weird to to arrive at a conclusion on the internet and realize, oh, people are going to like this maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Then- so, so these pieces, so let's take the, cause I know that there was, uh, quite a bit concerning the, the Cole Hamels piece, right? Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> you were writing, uh, you were writing about Cole Hamels potential trade value, is that right? Yeah. And you made a comment to the, you were, what, you were attempting to, uh, to get a better understanding of, uh, which, of what the Phillies might get back in a, uh, in exchange for Cole Hamels. Yes. And that was that was what you set out to do. Maybe you did it of your own volition, or Dave Cameron said, "Hey, we should probably write something on Cole Hamill's trade value." Yeah, it was kind of topical, and I figured that you can you can go over hypotheticals in your head, or you can use the valuations that we've been provided by research to try to figure out like a guideline, mm-hmm. uh, try to apply some numbers to it, as opposed to like, "Oh, Cole Hamill should get Mookie Betts. Cole Hamill shouldn't get Mookie Betts." Well, right. then why don't we try to be a little more specific? Be objective. So you so so as you were writing it and hitting publish. Um, was it your sense you say, oh, I employed all of the tools uh, that, that I believe make sense to employ. 
Uh, I'm an educated person who's written thousands of articles about baseball. And uh, that is – this is um, – like many of the other pieces I write, this is a product of, of what I've learned to date and the questions I've become accustomed to asking about baseball. Uh, I think my thoughts are more like, well, that's done. <laughs> you know you know the way that you do with work. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. What, the thing that I neglected to consider because mm-hmm. I hadn't really been exposed to it was the way the Phillies fans had responded to very similar Dave Cameron articles before in the not-too-distant past because I do not follow – Phillies blogs or or read uh, Dave Cameron's work or read Dave Cameron's work certainly not the responses to it because I've I've learned what those are but there's also like Phillies Twitter which I'm told was just in a tizzy uh, when I when I put that post up and then put up a follow up post that continued to uh, throw Cole Hamels under the bus but it's just it's odd to have that happen and realize oh they're coming for me this is what Dave must experience on. Yeah. Uh, a daily basis. Well, because because well, as I believe in the not very distant past, we you and I discussed. Uh, we we tried to come up with like a taxonomy of Jeff Sullivan's um, articles. Yes, and, and that goes through my head every week. Is it true? Yes, it does. Well, I hope it helps you, so you can be like, oh, what would Jeff Sullivan write in this case? <laughs> um, the, uh, you write about. Uh, you certainly do uh, catcher framing. You like to write about catcher framing. You're interested in catcher framing. It is interesting, although it's it's to the point now where I don't know what there is new to say about it. Right. Well, except well, uh, except maybe integrating it into war or something like that. Yeah, but the, God, my God, that's complicated. Yeah. Uh, you do during the season in particular. You do like let's uh, let's watch Araldus Chapman uh, be good. Mm-hmm. Uh, I forget the other ones that we came we came up to. Um, but do you, do you, when you were writing this piece, did you feel it? It, did you feel as though it, you know, ha- had something in, uh, in common with pieces you'd written before? No, yeah, it was a it was a think piece, and I thought it, it fit the mold well enough, and it was topical. So I kind of figured like it would work. I did not anticipate such an emotional response because mm-hmm. I think that an easy thing to forget when you're writing from fan graphs is that even though we are supposed to be cold, objective analysts, the people reading it are generally baseball fans. Right. And baseball fans are thinking more emotionally than objectively a lot of the time. Right. And it's the oddest thing that... So, like, the, I wrote about the White Sox yesterday, and I wrote the headline, the Chicago White Sox is still not a very good team, or something along those lines. Mm-hmm. And to their credit, the White Sox fans have been less cruel, except for one high schooler on Twitter, than Phillies fans. And I think maybe they understand that, well, the White Sox aren't really that good. But it's an odd... Uh, experience to see people who take offense at something being written about their team that isn't glowing in that why does this matter it's december it's many months until the white Sox start playing baseball games and what do you give a shit about whether or not i think that they are a very good team um, why are people offended by the suggestion that maybe the white Sox aren't actually that good yet yeah i don't get it well and then when so if you were to attempt to did no no did you read Reviewing your Cole Hamels piece, did, did you feel ultimately as though it was fair? And, yeah, what, and was, what is the sort of uh, what was the justification? I mean, what were the sort of trades you thought would make sense? The hypothetical trades. I thought it was fair, and I think the fact that Cole Hamels hasn't been traded yet is evidence of the fact that well, maybe the Phillies are asking for too much, and the Red Sox are hesitant to give up the players that people think that the the Phillies deserve. And I think if I could do it all over again, sorry for coughing, I'm still sick. Yeah. If I could do it all over again, I probably would not have settled on on saying, oh, one player makes sense, because nobody ever wants to trade a guy like Cole Hamels for one player. So what you have to throw in is like filler to make people feel better. Like, oh, Garen Zaccini, he's not actually that good. So just whatever, throw him in there and maybe like... I love him, but continue. 
yeah, I understand. <laughs> uh, the way what I settled on, I think at the end of it was, oh, it would make sense from this standpoint to trade Cole Hamels and his entire contract for Eduardo Escobar straight up. Eduardo, Eduardo Escobar? That's not right. Eduardo, uh, the the Red Sox one. Eduardo Rodriguez. Oh, Eduardo Rodriguez, right? Yeah. Well, that's embarrassing. Eduardo Rodriguez, who was traded straight up for Andrew Miller, and so then people think, well, why would you trade a guy? For an ace like Cole Hamels when he was just traded for a reliever. Well, the reliever's really good, and Hamels is getting really expensive, and he's going to get worse. And also, Rodriguez, after getting traded to the Red Sox, uh, pitched a lot better. He threw a lot harder. His stuff was better when he joined the Red Sox than it was when he was with the Orioles. So there were elements there where I thought, well, actually, Rodriguez or maybe Henry Owens would make sense as a uh, one-for-one. And a third, uh, a third point I would make, actually, and I think uh, uh, Cameron has written some work uh, to this effect, is that pitchers are pitchers might be nearly twice as valuable at the trade deadline as they are during the offseason. Yes. Um, well, at least relief pitchers it seems like. Well, or players in general. There are so few sellers that I think. Well, you've talked to Dave about this, but for example, people are wondering why the Astros signed two relievers. Well, if there's only going to be like five teams out of the race come July. Well, then those are the five teams other teams will be looking at to get pieces to get better. Right. And then that, that just changes the landscape an awful lot. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They could be worth, the, they could be worth something. Uh, what do you think is, what do you, what was the main complaint you saw, the main, uh, uh, counter argument to your, to your piece? Did you never stop to think that you have lost touch with reality? No. Oh. A common one. And what was interesting to me about that one is that in the reality, Cole Hamels has not been traded mm-hmm. uh, at all. And so there is no point of reference. And certainly when David Price was traded uh, in the middle of the year, people were underwhelmed by the return that the Rays got, right. which, well, well, let's think about that. What would be a realistic comparison? Well, maybe, maybe David Price. What was that? That was uh, um, uh, Drew Smiley. And Drew Smiley, Nick Franklin, Nick Franklin. and... And, uh, and Willie Adamas, which granted, uh, Kylie, Kylie McDaniel just wrote about the Rays system today, and he had Willie Adamas as the number one prospect in the Rays system. So even though he's like 18 and way in the low levels of the minors, people forget that the Rays did get a pretty high upside infielder mm-hmm. in return for Price. Yeah. Uh, I think that, well, I mean, it, uh, it, re- it does reflect, I think, something I have discussed with Cameron, which is, uh, and about which Cameron has written, which is that the, um, brand name players don't receive the same sort of uh, or teams don't receive the same sort of packages f- f- for br- highly paid brand name players than, than we would expect them to. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's, of course, uh, g- generally the the reviews of the Jeff Samarja trade, um, with you know Samarja going to the White Sox and getting you know the White Sox getting maybe, or sorry, the A's getting semi in return. Uh, what else? What, what what's the other big trade? Um, well, some, I guess some of the trades that happened during the middle of the year. You, you mentioned one of them. Um, and that, I mean, there was a Samarja trade in the middle of the year where uh, it did return a huge, major, important prospect piece. Mm-hmm. And I think that is, uh, that's a factor. And I think if Billy Bean could do it all over again, he would not do that, especially knowing the way that the season turned out. Uh, he would certainly not do it uh, all over again. Right. And I think that because of that trade and because of like the James Shields trade, then people think, well, you should be able to get something for this. But then Samarja costs relatively little given what he uh given how good he is. James Shields costs relatively little given how good he is. And Cole Hamels, if he were traded to the Red Sox, then he would command he would, presumably because the Red Sox are on his no trade uh, no trade list, then he would demand that his his fifth year option be guaranteed, which would make him cost five years and hundred ten million. And then 
John Lester just signed for what six one fifty five mm-hmm. or something. All right. So I think that if I were to write about Cole Hamels today, the market is valuing wins a little bit higher than I estimated at the time. There's a lot of money that's going into the game. Billy Bullock and just Morales, these people are getting multiple years, a lot of money. So the cost of a win is a little higher than I estimated. So maybe that means Cole Hamels is a little bit more surplus value. But then that also means that the prospects have a little more surplus value of their own. So still, I don't think Hamels should return. Xander Bogarts, Mookie Betts, Blake Swihart, Swihart, Swihart. Uh, I believe it's Garen Cicchini as well. Garen Cicchini. I, well, I will never have to care. And so I think the Phillies fans want that top prospect. And I think ultimately the way that it settles is the Phillies get a, a somewhat bountiful return for Hamels because they will chip in a lot of money and sort of buy the pieces off. You see a little bit like this with the Dodgers and the Padres. The Dodgers chipping in a lot of money and the Padres are sending then a catcher mm-hmm. who's young and under control. And the pitcher, who is young and under control, and uh, another pitcher, who is young and under control. Hey, let me ask you a question, not related all at right. all. Uh, all right. One thing I always I always forget about you, and then remember about you. So I guess I'm not always forgetting it. Sometimes it's just <laughs> something I remember about you. Is that I believe you went to Trinity College? Is that right? Right. Very good. Um, Trinity College, of course, is a school in Connecticut. Yes. A uh, smallish liberal arts college. Mm-hmm. Is that fair? Yes. If I'm not mistaken, you graduated from high school, uh, what, San Diego. Yes. Public school? No. No. Okay. What was your school called? Francis Parker. Francis W. Parker. I'm sorry. What happens at Francis Parker? Uh. Is it good? I mean, what is it? Is it a religious school? Is it a? No, it's uh, it's, it's a, a hippie, school that like I don't know how school? my family afforded it. It's a school where uh, volleyball players go before they get recruited to play in college. Oh, that's good. Do you guys send a lot of people to like uh, whatever Stanford or like I mean volleyball Hawaii players? Hawaii and Hawaii and Pacific. Or whatever these these colleges are, I don't know. Those are strong volleyball programs. <laughs> they were, I guess, like 13 years ago. Okay, yeah. So, so, but here's here's my question: How did you choose Trinity of all the schools? I went to the college counselor they made available at Francis W. Parker, mm-hmm. and uh, I were, we were going over college well, options. And my brother, wait, wait, wait I lost you for a second. Boston, I lost you. So, so yeah, went I went to, to Francis, the college counselor. Yeah. I went to the okay. I went to the college counselor at Francis W. Parker, and uh, my brother earlier had oh, gone to Boston, okay. right. uh, Boston University for school. So I kind of liked the idea of going to the other coast. And I was like, well, I don't want to go to too big of a school because I'm socially inept and it's, that would yeah, make no me a little doubt, more comfortable. No, so I would like to go somewhere no small. Absolutely no debt. And so the college counselor was like, well, you might consider Trinity College. And he could have said Colby or Williams or Exeter is a high school. Uh, he could have said... Yeah, you you uh, need to go to more high school is what he, <laughs> is what he really said. <laughs> I didn't want to go anywhere big, yeah. and so he's like, you should go to Trinity. And he could have said, well, he said Haverford? Yeah, well, he could have said that. He could have said Bennington. He could have uh, said, he Bennington. said Vassar? What about Vassar? Uh, I think in high school, because I had recently seen that Simpsons episode, I was still under the impression that Vassar was an all-girls school. Okay, yeah. So he yeah. could have said that, but I would have been like, whoa, that's out there. I believe it I is. Was, I, believe, I believe it is still predominantly women. Yeah, could have said Bryn Mawr. Uh, <laughs> Could have said. So he said Trinity, and I thought, okay, that sounds fine. And then I applied there. And I really wanted to get into Brown, which is a funny thing to say now, and I did not. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, Trinity was like, yeah, sure, we'll take it. And I was like one of three Californians there. Is that true? It's yeah. Much, yeah it's all like New England prep kids. Uh, yes, it, yes, precisely. That's why I was curious how you got there. Yeah, I did. Well, because like it's like, a, a, yeah, because when I went to school, there were like, a, there, you know, there's basically. 
it's not expressly stated, but there's like some there's like a bunch of schools that you're just sort of like kind of allowed to apply to. <laughs> and and so there are some state schools, but there are also select state schools, right? Like some of the UCALs, uh, Michigan, North Carolina, um, probably a couple others too. But then, yeah, Trinity is like a school where it's like, yeah, obviously you could apply to Trinity. Of course, mm-hmm. apply to Trinity. That's what yeah. you do. So it's like breathe. It's like waking up in the morning. That's that's how simple it is. Just do and it. I had no idea. I did not know anything about it. And I thought, oh, Hartford, Connecticut. That's a nice place. Uh-huh. And and so that so place what has a lot of money. <laughs> so what happens when you show up? What happens when you show up at Trinity? Uh, you room with two uh, two guys instead of one. You get two roommates in in a. A room at the end of the dorm on the north side of campus, directly across the street from a graveyard. And one of your roommates is a smart engineer major, and the other one is a an idiot football player who's going to get kicked out at the end of the season for a hate crime against a gay student who lives upstairs. Oh, that is wow, that's great. I, yeah. now I would assume there wouldn't be, there might be like a a, a few meatheads there, but not too many. Uh, not too many, but it, I mean the football for it's a D three school, right? So the the sports can't be too. Uh, amazing. There was uh, Jonah Bayless, I think, was a, a major leaguer that we had at Trinity, but he was not good. Not too many meatheads, and like the school sport is squash. It's like the greatest squash school in the okay, history yeah. of the planet. Yeah. And that's a, that's a sport and a gourd, so which is uh, the more you know. <laughs> but uh, yeah, his name is the roommate's name is Jimmy. I I won't say his last name no, because no, no, I no, honestly no. don't remember it. But I remember he was explaining to me that uh, his career dream. And this is relatively early in our relationship. His career dream was that he wanted to grow up and own a business that erected uh, tents for corporate events in fields. He already so he had. Wanted to, he, man, he was really shooting for the stars. He wanted to set up tents. Uh, the first time I ever talked to him, he was from New Jersey. Mm-hmm. I was in San Diego. Mm-hmm. So you know, like the the summer before you go to college, you get your roommate's contact information, so you can like reach out and have a little have a little dialogue. Yeah. Uh, so that's what we did. How, many, so people, how of, many people did you know from New Jersey before that interaction occurred? Oh, I knew none. Yeah. So I'm. So so you've grown up in San Diego, and now you're about to in, you're about to experience someone named Jimmy from New Jersey. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Okay. And uh, and and a Kevin Derigo from New York, which okay. was yeah, I was a sheltered kid. Yeah. But uh, so I talked to Kevin on the phone. It was fine. He had normal conversation. Two nice young bright adults, and I talked to Jimmy, and Jimmy called me. Uh, from New Jersey, <laughs> I'm in San Diego. He called me at uh, what was 6 p.m. on a weekday. Uh, he called me and I answered the phone. And he said, "Man, I'm sorry for calling you so late. I know it's like midnight where you are." <laughs> and I thought that we were going to get along swimmingly. <laughs> There's two things wrong with that. There's yeah. two. Yeah. There's the one. Well, I mean, that's the wrong direction. And also, why would you call somebody to say, "Hey, at midnight"? Yeah. On like a Tuesday. Yeah. It's just, yeah. So Jimmy and I got off on not even the wrong foot, just I wouldn't call it a foot at all. Yeah. And so, and, and so, but Jimmy didn't make it, he did not make it through the entire school year? Uh, no. Yeah. He, he was expelled. If you, if you had to, uh, put down money or, or, or produce some odds of the, him making it through the school year, him making it through the school year, what would you have said? At the start of the year? Yeah. Uh, I mean, he was an athlete. He was a football player, so I figured he, the school would do anything to protect him. I mean, it still likes his football program, even though it's Division Three. Right. But uh, I, I figure probably since he was expelled, that would have been I don't know a decade ago. By now, he's probably got his own tent erection business. Well, I wish I didn't say tent erection. <laughs> no, I wish. I'm glad tent you did. Tent putting up a business. <laughs> Actually, do you know who did go? Who else went to Trinity? Is a you're not the only Jeff. You were. 
you that we've had two Jeffs who have graduated from Trinity College on this podcast. Uh, for one thing, I'm almost certain we've had the conversation about like famous alumni of Trinity, and then the best I can offer is Tucker Carlson, who did not actually graduate okay. Trinity. But well, that's not a great another? one. It's not. Uh, Jeff Natale. Okay. Jeff Natale was the uh, Red Sox minor league player of the year in maybe 2007 or eight or something like that. Seven eight, yeah. He um, uh, his he never played in the majors, but he he walked more than he struck out in the minors. Uh, he did do that. He walked 115 more times than he struck out in the minors. He which did is many times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And now he happens to be. This will not uh, this will not shock you. He happens to be an admissions officer at the boarding school I attended. Oh. Yeah, and he's also been a, a guest on Fangraphs Audio. Okay. Yeah, I That's... asked him some things about. Uh, uh, Red Sox development and uh, his own uh, approach to the plate. It was interesting talking to him because he was—he actually never expe- he never expected in a million years to be a major leaguer, uh-huh. which most people who are going to Trinity, regardless of how athletic they are, you're not like, <laughs> yeah, well, obviously, feeder feeder program. Um, and so, like, but he just kept hitting through the minors. He just kept hitting. He's like, yeah, I don't, I didn't really expect it ever. He's like well, so let's see. He was he was drafted in the sixth round, which mm-hmm. is not uh, too high. So there's no, right. there's something there. Oh uh, wait, uh, no, but, no, wait, wait. The thirty second uh, round, I think, is what you. Oh mean. wait, whoops. No, uh, seventh round. Seventh round is Jonah Bayless. I'm thinking. I'm looking at the wrong guy. Thirty second round. Wow, Jonah Bayless, seventh round. Yeah. The one guy who made it. Yeah. All the other ones much later rounds. Yeah. Yeah. Thirty second round. <coughs> wow. Yeah. But but he's he did he did he did really have a, a good uh, a hitting record in the minor leagues, and he just never and I don't think he ever like he never like bailed on his team or anything. But I think just like a certain off season, like he got released, I think went to the Yankees, kind of started off not that well. I think was injured and was just like, nah, that's fine. I played baseball till I was twenty seven. That's good. Yeah, yeah. And he got to explore uh, Lowell. Yes. And, uh, and, uh, and Pawtucket. Uh-huh. Yeah. Scranton and Wilkes-Barre. Mm-hmm. Barry. Yeah. And, uh, Wilmington. And Portland. The worst Portland. He got to go to the worst Portland. The, and, uh, uh, well, that's up for debate. But the, the, um, It's not. It's not up for debate, though. It is lucky. It is lucky those players who get to play for AAA Yankees affiliates, Grilton Wilkes-Barre. Cause it's like, as it, most people want to become you know, you want to become familiar both with Screen and Wilkes-Barre. Of course. But you're like, how am I ever going to find time to do it? <laughs> but maybe, you know, but if you if you play for the Yankees AAA affiliate, then uh, they give you every opportunity. Uh, switching gears. So uh, your your boy Jeff Natale, teammates in Scranton, Wilkes-Barre. Yeah. With, uh, with Kevin Russo, Marcus Thames, Chad Tracy, mm-hmm. and Jesus Montero. Okay. That's that's all I got. Uh, <laughs> Wait, and I believe uh, Kei Yagawa, too, when Kei Yagawa was making his daily trip from the Upper East Side. Absolutely. His, yes. his daily limo ride from <laughs> from the Upper East Side out to Scranton Wilkesbury. He was there. He absolutely was there. That's one of the most uh, curious arrangements. Um, and also, uh, curiously, or interestingly, Ivan Nova, a Rule 5 draft pick. Well, we should say Ivan Nova who was worth 
multiple wins last year. Uh, it, that's not something that everyone is can, no 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 sorry multiple wins two years ago. He was uh, injured largely this year, but he had a very good season two years ago. Um, and you know he was only around for about two thirds of the year. Um, has been a decent major league pitcher when he's been healthy. Um, Ivan Nova was exposed to the Rule Five draft, um, selected in the Rule Five draft, and then returned to the Yankees in the Rule 5 draft, and then actually became a, a major league pitcher of some consequence. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. uh-huh. Yeah. So we <laughs> have very nailed, good. We've nailed that down. And you know who will probably be playing at Scranton Wilkes-Barre this year is Cole Figueroa. Cole Figueroa, who was just... I wonder, if I sat here silently, how long you would talk about this? Who has just signed? <laughs> has just signed. Uh, was just signed to a minor league contract by the New York Yankees. <clears throat> um, when Kylie writes those evaluating the prospect pieces, uh, he allows me to to add one guy that has yes. not appeared in the list. Yes. And uh, I had written, I had done the research and written an entire paragraph about uh, with a, a gif or two maybe about Cole Figueroa. Mm-hmm. At which point, uh, uh, just doing some last minute, uh, you know, research or you know. Uh, referencing, I, real- I learned that Cole Figaro had been released by the team and had just signed <laughs> yesterday uh, with the Yankees. I guess it makes you wonder, Kylie gets so deep in all of the systems, and you are still supposed to pull a player who does not show up anywhere else. He gets very deep. He gets very deep, yeah. and yet, Carson's yeah. guy. He didn't get Jamie Schultz, though. He didn't get Jamie Schultz, though, in the, in the race system, who I was thinking about taking. I mean, Jamie Schultz had, among starters in the uh, Arizona Fall League this year, he had one of the Highest average velocities, mm-hmm. um, but he just does not appear to have a lot of command. Is the problem? That's too bad. Now, uh, can I ask you a question about your illness? Because you, you're sick, yeah. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. Yes, and I can tell you why. I can tell you why. Because at the winter meetings, you go, and this particular winter meetings, I don't know how close attention you were paying, but it was uh, it was frenzied, uh, one could say. Oh yeah. And there were there's a lot of activity, but there was a lot of activity after hours, so. Yeah. You get done with with what you think is the workday, and then you go have dinner, hang out in the lobby, hobnob with writers and whoever else mm-hmm. recognizes you and finds you, and you do that. And then at like eleven at night, somebody comes over and says, "Hey, by the way, John Lester just signed a contract." And you think, "Well, damn!" <laughs> so it's too late to do anything right away because you know the networking is kind of. I wish I hate that word. The talking to people who are in your field is kind of the highlight of going. So you think, well, there's no reason to write an article now. It's not going to be done till like, 1 in the morning. So I'll continue talking, and then I'll go, and I'll write about it later. And the problem with that being, well, then you can be up very late writing about something that happened uh, late at night. Mm-hmm. And so consecutive nights at the winter meetings, I was awake until 5.30 in the morning. That's so late. Posts, which is the latest I've been up since I accidentally played Civilization Two for, like, 12 and a half hours one time without looking up. And that was a long time ago. And so you get – when you don't sleep, the thing that your body does is get worse. And so <laughs> my body got worse on consecutive days, and I just had to, like, just will any illness away until the winter meetings ended. Mm-hmm. And right before I got into a cab to go to the airport, I was able to file a thing for Fox for Friday about the Reds, which I wrote very quickly. It probably showed. I don't do it. I don't care. But as soon as I got in the cab, I thought – Oh, I did it. I'm sick, and I'm still sick because mm-hmm. are you getting, when are you, you don't sleep, your body's immune system is just like, I'm also on vacation. And then <laughs> when you're when you're doing your work in a room full of writers 
uh, who I think we all understand to be diseased, it makes sense you would get one. Yeah, that's true. From one of them. Many flaws. Many, Many flaws. flaws. Very sick. Uh, yeah, well, that's too yeah. bad. You want to know? You want to know how many jogging shoes were brought to the winter meetings by the writing staff? Zero, I would say zero. I would say to Rob Nyers, and that is about it. Oh yeah, okay. Rob, Rob uh, got out there. Yeah. Is Rob back at the BBWA? I don't believe so. Because they will just accept anybody now. <laughs> and I'm just shocked that they haven't. That's not available. You know, Dean Perry got in. I remember uh, one of the conditions when you were accepted was that, oh, you lived near Milwaukee, so you could go to games and you could mm-hmm. hang out. You were, like, trying to feel your way around Tom Hondercourt, uh, I believe. Uh, yes, to great and, success, uh, Jeff To Sullivan. great success. Uh, yes. And and then last year, uh, during the baseball season, you lived in France. <laughs> so I think that maybe the condition of acceptance yeah. uh, was not a real condition at all. Yeah, well, uh, uh, so actually, it's interesting you mentioned that. Uh, just uh, shortly before you and I were, were uh, started talking, I was communicating with Tim Britton, who's the head of the Boston chapter of the BBWA, and I will right. actually be attending a BBWA event tomorrow uh, in Boston. And under what? what's your role at this event? Well, part of my role is to show my face uh-huh. so that they believe that, that I really am a member. Uh-huh. I don't know. I'm nervous about it. I'm nervous about it because I'm going to be put there. I mean, t- t- um, it's uh, <laughs> they're just old, they're just older men who I assume hate me is a lot of it. Um, and in many cases, they I mean, I'm sure they do hate me. Um, just out of you know out of hand. It is weird getting emails. Um, and this is this is only slightly retached because you know I grew up in the Boston area. I grew up in you know New Hampshire and yeah. went to high school in Boston. And uh, so I read articles by Dan Shaughnessy and Bob Ryan and Gordon Eads. And um, I don't know if Ryan's on these lists, but um, I receive it's a weird experience. I receive emails that are also addressed to <laughs> Dan Shaughnessy and Gordon Eads and uh, uh, you know now. I think maybe Tomasi, Tom, Tomasi, uh-huh. and uh, um, Pete, uh, uh, Pete Abraham, Peter Abraham, uh, Michael Silverman. <clears throat> these are people I read. Maybe not yeah. Abraham as much. I think he's been around later. But uh, it is a curious thing. I'm like, oh, this is, what? Uh, well, I think that you're you have been perfectly summarized. But I think it was until somewhat recently your Twitter bio. Which was what professional baseball writer somehow? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I thought that kind of captured the spirit of things pretty well. And the an odd thing as a writer uh, about the winter meetings, and you've been you went in in Nashville, right? Yeah, and I think I, I planned on going next year because apparently you guys went out, you just went to these breweries. That sounds fantastic. Uh, yeah, next year is not in San Diego though. Yeah, it's in Nashville again, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, and, and Nashville uh, was also great. The problem with going to all those breweries on the Sunday. We, it was a wonderful experience, but then we were very we were drinking a lot, and then we went to bed late, and then it just gets you off to the wrong foot yeah. for for the work day. We were supposed to be booked across in a hotel across the street from where the winter meetings were, and I lived in San Diego, but I still so I know the layout of downtown, but I do not know the layout of the winter meetings, and so I I walked across the street on Monday morning, hungover, a little groggy, mm-hmm. and I walked into the San Diego Convention Center where they had hung a giant. 2014 MLB Winter Meetings banner, and I thought, well, this should be the place. Mm-hmm. So I walked in, and it was the trade show 
So then I thought, well, this isn't the place. I'll walk upstairs, and this is the job fair, uh, so this isn't the place. Yeah. So I'm going to go uh, around the corner and look on my phone and type in 2014 Winter Meeting <laughs> San Diego, and it told me, oh, it's at the Bayfront Hilton. So I walked to the Bayfront Hilton, and I walked in. There are very many uh, men milling about in suits, and I thought, this is the place. Look, right over there, there's a Winter Meetings banner. I'm going to go up to this registration desk and ask for my press pass. And they said... Go to the Hyatt. And I thought, well, that's not this hotel. I'll go to the other hotel, though. So I went to the Hyatt. And uh, when I got to the Hyatt, which took another 20 minutes to walk to, then I realized this is where the winter meetings are. And in the Bayfront Hilton was the minor league winter meetings, which happened concurrently. And so the Hilton or the Hyatt is where I wanted to be. And it took me about an hour and 15 minutes to ultimately end up there, which already set me back further. Were you, from walking, what was, to, were you walking around by yourself? I was it was the middle of the day, but I was walking around by myself. Did you not ask? The- Eno was also confused. Mm-hmm. Eno was the it was Eno who I knew would be around, and, and that was did my you know go-to he, guy. Did you know he would be confused as well? I had a sense. Uh, this is why it's valuable to have Dave Cameron present because Dave is a leader, and I'm a follower. When mm-hmm. I have no one to follow, I just follow myself, and I end up in the Bayfront Hilton or the mm-hmm. convention center. Yeah, it was difficult. But what the original point I was getting at is that you've been to the winter meetings. You went to Nashville. Yeah. And while you were not present in the same way that Dave and I were locked in the media room for like four days, it's an odd sensation to be in the lobby as someone who does what we do and look around and think, oh, my God, there's a famous person. Yeah. Oh, no, it's not a famous person. It's a person who we know who writes about famous people. <laughs> so it's like when I was in the lobby, Dan Shaughnessy was doing a, like a, an internet, a web TV spot for something. And I thought, oh, my God. Oh, wait, I don't care. That's just a man. <laughs> there's nothing special about him. If anything, he's kind of an ass. Although Peter Gammons is a, I think a legit sort of cult, at least cult celebrity. He's he's a real something. But like seeing John Heyman in person is interesting at first, and then you think, well, this is what's the opposite of interesting? Not interesting. <laughs> this is uninteresting to see John Heyman. Unequ- unequivocally uninteresting. Unequivocally uninteresting. Well, I, uh, I will uh, say a writer friend. I'm interrupting you because yeah, I have yep. a quick John Heyman story. Do I'm it. sorry, but a writer friend was. Uh, I was talking to him, a beat writer friend. I'm sure it and, uh, it acquits. Uh, uh, John Heyman fabulously, right? Well, this it, It's a very professional thing of him to do. So this does not say anything bad about John Heyman. Yeah. Maybe just a little, uh, I don't know, not tactful. But when when the working day is quote-unquote over, everybody goes and gets some beers and they drink in the hotel bar. Of course. And that's when you get to kind of have different conversations than you have during the day. Maybe because during the day you're not having any conversations. But, you know, it's like 11, 11.30 at night and you've got uh, a lot of writers in there just kind of unwinding. But then John Heyman will come in. And he's still got, like, his pen and his notebook because he's writing actual notes. And he's still hustling people for information, even when everyone is just like, we're done. We're not talking about this anymore. None of the executives are here. But he's just in there still trying to get notes. And so he's he is a content provider. It's a, a shame, it seems, that CBS has not provided for his content an editor. But he still generates a <laughs> lot of words and a lot of information. Wow. I guess there's apparently like a, a a soft beer in hand rule where if if uh, somebody has a beer in hand, you are not to engage with them yeah. on a, a professional matter. Yeah, that must be why no one uh, engages in business with me uh, after <laughs> afternoon. Yeah, yeah. Well, you just uh, it's a good strategy. We're engaging right now. Yeah, we are engaged. I never I never saw Kenny Rosenthal. In the uh, in the hotel bar, so I don't know where he scurried off to, but he was also 
very busy. No more roast this year. I hope he's sleeping. Oh my god. Okay, this is gonna sound really creepy, but I wonder, like you've got all these teams, all these team executives there, and all the, the writers that you follow on Twitter, they're all there, but what do they look like when they sleep? Like what, is, you don't think of them like that. Like what does Jack Zorentic look like when he's asleep? <laughs> what's his routine when he like curls up? Does he have a book? Does he have a stuffed animal? Does he just, what's his side? Does he, does he lie on his back? Pajama pants or? Does, does Kenny Rosenthal get into a drawer? Like how, where do these, <laughs> What do they do? Because you don't think of it because the teams are all there doing very important business, business, business stuff. But you got to sleep. But then you got to sleep because if you don't, you get sick. Well, what's your strategy? I curl up on my right side. I don't I don't sleep straight. Okay. I'll take a shower at night and then I'll get into bed. Okay. And I'll uh, I'll look at a book I have on Oregon geology and then I'll fall asleep soon thereafter. Yeah. And I will be on my right side and my knees will be up near to my hip. I've heard uh, – I've heard uh... – <laughs> rave reviews about sleeping with a pillow in between your knees. Uh-huh. Have you heard anything to that effect? I have heard something to that effect. It is not the way that I sleep. I've, I've, yeah. Well, in any case, uh, I've, uh, I've thumbs up everywhere regarding a pillow between your knees. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's good for your back, I guess. Is it? I don't know. Why I, would it be? I don't know. People, I'm just saying... People are having a ball doing this. I can see it as being good for your hip, perhaps, yeah. by not having your. You know. Maybe I don't know. I don't know. Maybe people love it. There's a there's a friend of mine who uh, who I climb with, and his his wife uh, is a, a perfectly ordinary woman, but genetically she has bad hips. Uh, her mom had bad hips. Her older sister had bad hips, mm-hmm. and she uh, about a year ago went to the doctor's office complaining of hip pain, and the doctor's like, "Let's run some tests." I bet she's got bad oh, hips. That you got you got the bad hip, oh, the old man. bad hip. Yeah, that's right there in, in this manual of of, uh, of medical information. <laughs> of so she had to have one hip replaced, which is like a, a quick surgery, but then like an eight-month rehab or something yeah. where you're off your feet. And so she got to do that, and then next year she gets to look forward to having the other hip replaced, which means she gets to go through the entire process again and, and wait, there's more. About two weeks ago, she started feeling some shoulder discomfort. She went to the doctor thinking, eh, whatever, shoulder pain. Shoulder pain. And the doctor's like, well, I'm pretty sure I know what this is, but let's run a test. And uh, they did the test, and then he's like, yeah, so it's what I thought. You have a torn shoulder labrum. That also requires surgery. So she gets to look forward to having shoulder surgery after hip surgery after hip surgery. And so uh, my and friend... So wait, this is, uh, this is how old is this person? Uh, about 32. That's young for all these things. It is young. It's all, and when you hear shoulder labor, you think, oh my god, he can't pitch anymore. Oh, but you're a small Asian woman. You probably <laughs> were not going, it's also not even your throwing arm, so you'll be fine. Yeah, she'll be fine. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I think my friend married a lemon. Hmm. And that's, I don't think that's a racist term for an Asian person, is it? <laughs> no, it's, it's just for a, a faulty car. Yeah, okay. <laughs> All right, good. I see how that could be interpreted as a racial. Yeah, I see one angle, uh, but... Uh, there's, there's one very, very obvious. One very apparent one, which I re- regret. <laughs> Whatever, no, there was no intent. It's not a racist remark if there was no intent. It's true, that's true. Well, you know, a lot of the problems with racism, uh, I don't know if you know this, it's institutional racism. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It occurs also apparently with sexism as well. I've been hearing a lot about how uh, women... Are not making as much uh, for the same jobs. And can I tell you something? I think it's terrible. And can I tell, I'll tell you, you why? what? We don't even have women on staff. I know. We should. Well, yeah. Well, Wendy's not writing at all, right? She's left. No, she left. Um, I uh, 
I think that it should be reversed. I would like to be reversed. So you you want women to be better off than men is what you mean. I would like that. Uh, well, uh, listen, specifically no. Actually, women is too general. My wife, I would like to be paid more money and then so that I don't have to work at all. No, at all. At all. You don't want Okay, so let's say let's say hypothetically that you inherited from your very wealthy parents oh, or no, I, uh, no, 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 it wouldn't be from my parents. There's someone back there though, yes, and I want to, I want an inheritance. So yes. Okay, you're, you're a youthful West African au pair, <laughs> leaves you $10 million. Wait, $10 she, million. she died? I'm sorry to report this, but she uh, made you very wealthy, so it's, it offsets. Okay, good. Well, you know, I am always getting emails from people in Nigeria who just need a couple thousand dollars. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And then they'll give me millions in return. So maybe something like that happened. I mean, it's just math. Yeah. It's just I can turn that into math. So yeah. you you were given $10 million. Love and it. then the question is, do you work? Well, you hear the stories about people who who stop working, especially like lottery winners. And I think lottery winners almost uniformly end up having terrible lives. Right? Well, I was under the impression that most lottery players don't work to begin with. No. Oh, I, well, I don't know. I don't know. I don't – I cannot – Speak to that, Sullivan. Well, you're equivocating. Yes, on purpose. Yeah, what have we what have we discussed about equivocation? Well, we know what you're all about. <laughs> you you were you're unequivocal till the death. Lottery winners don't work. <laughs> They've never worked. I don't know a lot about lottery winners, uh-huh. but I do know that there are many reports about lottery winners who, like. After a year, essentially return to the same level of happiness, et cetera, that they had before they won the lottery. Yeah. Because well, I don't know if you're familiar. I think I believe it was uh, Aristotle who said, "Mo money, mo problems." Uh huh. And uh, he's right about most things. Well, what, there was a study, and I think maybe we've talked about this, or maybe it was just in the documentary Happy available on Netflix right now, streaming. Mm. But there's a study that was looking at like uh, lottery winners, people who came into money. And uh, amputees, so people who lost a limb. Oh, this and, uh, is exactly good. Does Dan, did Dan Gilbert talk about this? I don't remember. Okay. But, I mean, so you know where this is going, and people can probably see where this is going. But after about a year or so, uh, lottery winners and amputee people, amputee victims, I don't know, patients, returned to their baseline level of happiness, which is to say that uh, the people who lost a limb were, were back to normal, and the people who won the lottery were back to normal uh, for, for better or for worse. And so it says something about human adaptability, which is sort of a blessing and a burden. Uh, right. Well, it's kind of uh, – so there are certain advantages, right, to having a a, uh, a goal to which you would like to – to which you are aspiring. Yes. Uh, but the problem is that uh, sometimes when you reach that goal, it turns out not to be that great. And I think this is one of the good things about baseball projections because we know they're not actually that good. Yeah. We don't know what's going to happen, but we still pretend. We make believe all offseason long. Because we kind of have to, you have to operate, when teams make moves, they're essentially making a projection, whether they call it Zips or Seamer or Pakoda or what. They're saying, we think this guy's going to do this, we think this guy's going to do this. So the teams are constantly projecting, but they're constantly getting things wrong, or at least wrong in, in hindsight. Mm-hmm. And we don't want perfect projections. We never want to achieve 100% accuracy, because then there's no point. Well, that would be strange. Yeah. Here's a, here's a, we'll, we'll end right now, but I want to ask you a, this will be a trivia question. A trivia question or a trivial question? Well, both, I guess. Okay. Which player? And don't don't look it up because of, well, what's the fun of that? Um, which player in the entire major leagues 
produced the fewest wins above replacement last year. And uh, last year, the, yeah, 2014, it, which is the lowest WAR, in other words, the fewest. Uh, wins. No, any playing time minimum. No I playing time minimum, it. right? But it, I mean, well, it's sort of factored in, yeah. God, okay. So I remember it was not Kendrys Morales, but he was super close. Okay, so somebody worse. All right, so I will respond to that by saying you're correct. It was not Kendrys Morales. He was second. Oh, okay. And worse. he was actually well. He was. He was said, well, Pop, hey, I'm talking. I'm sorry. He's tied. He was tied. I'll give you two other names so you can cancel out. He was tied with Dominic Brown and Matt Dominguez. Yeah, so bad. At negative 1.7. Negative 1.7. You know, there is something to be said. If if you're able – if you're given enough playing time to reach these totals, Mm -hmm. then there is some belief that you have some skill to begin with. Right, and you can just look at the contract Morales just signed. Right. So obviously it didn't hurt his life too bad. Uh-huh. Okay, but, but there's somebody worse. There's and somebody, it was not Skip Schumacher, yes. even though he sucked. And, yeah, no, uh, he was uh, ninth overall. And in, in uh, fact, I'll give you all the names between uh, Matt Dominguez and Skip Schumacher. Nick Swisher, negative uh-huh. one six. Alan Craig, negative one four. Oh, dear. Mark Trumbo. Oh, no. Negative one three. And unfortunately, but this, of course, does not include catcher framing. Uh, Jose Molina, negative one three. Okay, so worse, worse, worse. Oh, oh, uh, the Rangers, the Rangers, the outfielder. Yep. The Michael Choice. You did it. You really Michael did. Joyce. It. You did it. Terrible. Yeah, he had a bad season. But yeah. was given nearly three hundred plate appearances to do it. So I don't. I never thought he was going to actually be that bad. I th- I think he still has some some problems. Yeah, he's not. He's not that. Oh, okay. So I now I've pulled up the list, yeah. and I always like to. Uh, Look at the bottom first of all, because it's funny when you see players who are terrible. But then you always kind of assume, okay, they're not actually that bad. So maybe they had a lot of bad BABIP luck, mm-hmm. you know, and because that's a low war is selective for that. But Cody Ross, negative one point two war, three twelve BABIP. Yeah, that's bad. Right, so that's that's, that's yeah, bad. That's bad. That means you were essentially operating with roughly league average batted <laughs> ball profile, and it still didn't work out for you. Uh, Jason Kubel, negative 1.1 1. 1 war, 354 batting average on balls in play. And, it turns uh, out so Jason Kubel without power. is bad news. And it, interestingly, Cody Ross and Jason Kubel both played for the Diamondbacks in the recent past. And, and actually, uh, so Mark Trumbo was also on that team. Yes. Well, you can look at the at the list. And also, when you, you look at the Mariners on the bottom of the war list, you've got Kendris Morales, you've got Stephen Romero, you've got Corey Hart, and you have James Jones. All, in the, All of them worth at least the negative, negative one war. At most? At most negative one yeah, war? Yeah, that's how I would say it. Most, yeah. At, yes, best. No better than. No better yeah. than, yeah. That's, 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 that's a good way to phrase it, yeah. Yeah, it's tough. It's tough. Yeah. You know, um, that's, uh, but those experiences, I, I, I will say that um, uh, spending time with people who have failed is a lot better than with people who have not. So you say, if you told me uh, at the end of the year, Carson, with, with whom would you rather get a drink, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Anthony Bass, who uh-huh. had the worst war in the entire major leagues um, of among pitchers, or uh, whatever, Mike Trout. Oh, definitely Anthony Bass. Yeah. Can Mike Trout drink yet? Uh, yeah, he's 21. But all the, yeah, all things being equal, I would much rather spend – uh, I would much rather pass the time with someone who has failed conspicuously. And there's really, yeah. there's really no, unless you're like a, a billionaire who loses all his money, 
there's no way to fail more conspicuously than in front of you know roughly 30,000 people every night over the course of a season. I can assure you, based on Anthony Bass's uh, history of teams played for, he's probably never played in, th- in front of 30,000 people. <laughs> Well, no, but maybe he uh, <laughs> if he played like away at the Cardinals. Well, would you rather have a drink? This is a test. Yeah. Would you rather have a drink with Mike Trout or Nick Swisher? Uh, Swisher, yeah. Oh God, why? I'm sorry, that was judgmental. Uh, <laughs> so explain yourself. Uh, for amusement purposes. You're by yourself. It's you and Nick Swisher. Yeah. These are the circumstances. I I don't think Nick Switcher's that bad. I think he's amusing. Uh, I'm not I'm not that worried about him. Interestingly, interestingly, they're the one who of those two who's from New Jersey is not the one you'd expect. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Now, did you did you room with either of those guys at Trinity? <laughs> uh, no. Is the answer no? No. no. I and mean, in fact, after the first year, I roomed with nobody at Trinity except for my television, which was frequently programmed to Nesson. Because I, uh, I always liked and continue to like the Nesson broadcasts. Yeah, I think they're a good broadcast. Did you did you enjoy? Uh, enjoy you now was it Remy and Orsillo at the time? Yeah, yeah. and I also liked having uh, the Yes Network. I liked Michael K. And I still like Michael K. I know a lot of people can't stand him, but I'm a fan, and I think he's a fan. He likes Fangraphs, so you know, there's uh, people like Fangraphs is is the the gist. Billy Bean loves Fangraphs. Billy Bean thinks Fangraphs is the best thing out there. Yeah. Well, plus we words. have a. Uh, we have uh, state-of-the-art projections. No, wait, what are they called? Stone Cold Accurate? Wait, wait, wait. Give, give me one second. I'll be right back. <laughs> one second. Uh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How'd you do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, deadly accurate. Deadly accurate. Deadly accurate projections. Uh huh. That's what I wanted to say. <laughs> but there's... have you had a chance to talk with Enosaurus since he got back from the winter meetings? No. You should uh you should find cause too maybe if you have a, a podcast coming up oh, yeah. yeah and then you should ask him about his experience going up to the Oakland A's media uh, suite for media questions. Oh really? Yeah yeah he's got he's got good stories but I don't want to tell him he should tell him. Uh, would they would are they appropriate for the podcast? Oh yeah no there's there's nothing uh, there's nothing crude there's nobody dying there's nobody being murdered. Hey, what, uh, would you say there's assaulted. nothing there's nothing untoward? Would you say that? I would, uh, I would, now that you've put the word in my mind, I would say that. Yeah. I would say t- untoward. Yeah. Nothing untoward, I'm sorry. Yeah. So it was very toward. The experience <laughs> was extremely toward. And, uh, yeah. And so I would say that it was a, a situation that made Eno uncomfortable, mm-hmm. but in a funny way. Oh, that's good. Much like many situations that make Eno uncomfortable. Yeah. So you should ask him in, uh, any future circumstance you have to talk to him in a recorded fashion or unrecorded. Uh, one, one last question. Did you ever play basketball? Yes. Yeah, you're pretty tall and reasonably coordinated, so it seems like you would have. I've be, I've grown into my coordination, so at the time I was uncoordinated. Okay. I could not. Uh, yeah. Well, Why through, you through what age did you play? It was just middle school. Okay. Because I played, I, I, I'm, you know, I'm um, coaching a basketball team now. Yes, I heard. And it's not on the uh, the Dave Cameron podcast. Yeah. And it's still, 
Oof. <clears throat> it's, uh, it's, it's difficult for me. I've never coached before, and I've been made a head coach, mm-hmm. so I don't always know what I'm doing. What ages? Uh, high school. But uh, a, lot of the, a lot of these students, the players on my team, I'd say there's only two and a half, uh, uh, maybe three total now out of 11 native English speakers. Mm-hmm. And um, there are fewer players than that who've played blaske- basketball, organized organized basketball. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, there's some complications that arise. Like the like one kid asked me before our second game. He asked me before our second game, what is a foul? <laughs> and um, I never, you know, it's just like I never I never imagined that I would have to explain that. So it, when it, when questions like that happen, there's sort of a ripple effect, right? Because not only am I like, oh wow, you don't know what foul is, but then like, you know, like some period of time goes by, and I'm like, God, if they don't, like, if they don't know what a foul is, where where do we start? Like, do I have to introduce them to the like the basketball itself? Um, so it raises a lot of questions. It's it's been very, uh, it's caused a lot of anxiety for me, but not necessarily. Like I don't have to do it forever, so it's not so I'm able to sort of deal with it. But um, I'm like, God, what am I? And then there's there are a couple of kids on the team who really have played organized baseball or basketball, and they're like, Hey, this team's not that great. <laughs> um, and I'm like, Well, you know, everyone everyone's playing. So. Well, there's there's one of the problems right there. Years ago, I went to a baseball game with a friend of mine named Sarah, and we went to a Padres game. And Sarah uh, knew I was a big. Uh, baseball guy, and she, I don't know, I think we had free tickets or something. She had free tickets, so we went to the baseball game, the Padres game, and uh, we were talking about some of the rules, and I just kind of have this assumption that when you grow up in, in America, certainly in like a baseball hotbed of Southern California, that you just kind of facts filter into your brain, right. and you just know things about it. Like, people who don't know anything about baseball might recognize the word shortstop. Right, and yeah, 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 right. And it in, cer- me- in certain regions, it's a po- like if you grow up in Boston, it's hard not to know anything about baseball. Yeah, you just pick them up. Right. And so I had to spend four innings, four innings, which is this is a baseball game, so mm-hmm. about three and a half hours explaining to this woman that uh, it does not count as a hit if you simply hit the baseball. Mm-hmm. That a hit requires that you hit the baseball mm-hmm. and and settle on a base <laughs> or at least reach a base uh, and then subsequently become eliminated advancing to another base. Right. And so we were watching. I don't know why this was so difficult. And some pot, let's call him Khalil Green, because it was probably Khalil Green. Yeah. He had a ground ball to shortstop, and he was thrown out. And then she looked at the scoreboard and said, why, why do the Padres not get a hit? Mm-hmm. And I said calmly, because they didn't have one. Yeah. That, that was not a hit. Yeah. He did hit the ball. I can see where the confusion is here, because yeah. I'm using word. the same word. Yeah. yeah. But I'm using, see, there's, there's the, the noun hit. And then there is there is the uh, right. the verb the verb hit the verb hit yeah. to hit to hit the yeah. ball yeah to make contact with it right yeah um, yeah that must have been unique I, yeah. I'm trying to explain but here's the, here's the difference yeah. here's the difference Sarah was not playing for a baseball team at the time <laughs> yeah 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 well uh, it's it's fun it's uh yeah it's fun some days are fun some days are trying when's your next game not till January because just like a, January yeah. Well, it's right, a so, winter break and all that. Okay. Well, then you have a lot of time to teach them what a foul is. I have a lot of time to learn how to be a coach. You know, you know the fun part though. Before they learn what a foul is, 
You just let them loose and see what they do. Yeah, well, this kid, uh, yeah. We did have a kid uh, last week uh, uh, who, who played uh, 15 minutes tops because it's just uh, too – oh, he didn't even play 15 minutes. Nowhere, nowhere near. It's two 16-minute halves. Uh-huh. He, uh, he fell out. <laughs> and I was so I was so happy about it. It was great. Yeah. I remember feeling embarrassed if I got a foul. Oh, like, yeah. oh, I shouldn't have done that. Yeah. Oh, I'm in trouble. It's so uncomfortable to be in trouble. Have somebody blow a whistle because of an infraction that you were responsible for. Right. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Yes, I see where you're going. Yeah. Yeah. Because you're like everyone, like they say your number. Yeah. They're like 23 green, and you're like, no, that's me. Ah. Like, he, he did a bad thing, and now the other team gets violated the, the rules. Gets the score automatically. Oh, also, yeah. they, do you think that the a majority of my team did or did not understand what a one-in-one foul shot is. <laughs> no idea. The first time, uh, whoever was missed the front end of the one-in-one, and they just but they were just standing there because they'd only ever seen uh, getting two shots before. <laughs> and then the in the other case, they they caught on to the fact that they needed to be very ready after the first shot. So uh, the first shot went in, and they booked it to the other end of the court, and and then but no one else in the entire court moved. So just two of my kids moved. Um, it's great, yeah, yeah, it's great. But there's also a, there is a, a young Russian man on my team who um, speaks. He's very uh, he's a very nice young man, but his uh, his English is not excellent. Uh-huh. So he just does whatever. He just does whatever. He sometimes will just go into the game. And you're like, no, you can't, you can't do that. That's against lo- against rules. Yeah, yeah. He's like, do you I, think I go in now? No, no, you, no. <laughs> No. I go in. I go in. I, I go in the game. Yeah. Fortunately, he has been injured. I mean, not, it's not good that he's been, <laughs> <laughs> it's not good that he's been injured, but it has curtailed his, his, um, attempts just to enter the game. Yeah. I'm going to, so, uh, unnamed baseball writer mm-hmm. that I was, uh, speaking to at the winter meetings. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know, remember how the conversation came to this, but unnamed prominent baseball writer Ooh, was saying prominent. that he was, he was going over the tweet that he, he most regrets Tweeting publicly, mm-hmm. and uh, it was when I feel like I shouldn't even. Uh, I, it was it was a tweet. It was specifically a tweet about the Red Sox meeting the Cardinals in the World Series, and it was a tweet about. Uh, uh, let's see, how can I phrase this so that it's still not Googleable if people didn't remember it? Whatever he made, sort of like a, a slightly off-color tweet about. City of Boston taking on the city of St. Louis in the World Series. And then then the writer said to me, quote, uh, and I tweeted that, and the response was bad, and then, thank God, the whole Ferguson thing happened. (laughs) And I thought, well, I could just end a career at this very moment. And there's a beer in hand rule. But I think that was my favorite, I shouldn't say favorite, but I will say favorite, my favorite out-of-context quote from the winter meetings. (laughs) Thank God that Ferguson thing happened. Take the attention off of that guy. It's true. Yeah, you got to look around for other tragedies that will obscure your own. Your your own. It's a good time to strike with an off-color joke yeah. about something unrelated. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, oh, yeah. school shooting. If you know that yes, there's going to be a serious. Uh, uh, you're right. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah, a school shooting or a, a murder, police murdering Mur- someone. You can say anything you want about that city five minutes beforehand. <laughs> that's a that's a rule. All right, we're done. You're done. We're done. We're done. This is actually two. This is uh, this is two. This is too long. But then you can eliminate the start of it, which, talking about computers and oil, I don't know what that was about. Yeah, we'll do whatever. It's there. It's, it's yeah. all. And what a, 
Hey, we'll talk whatever. next week about your basketball team. Yeah. Well, I'll give you an update. There won't be an update, but I'll give you an update. Well, That's yeah. why I asked. Yeah. All right, stick around for a second, but in the meantime, thank you, Jeff Sullivan. That? Yeah, that has been Jeff Sullivan. Uh, what, editor? What are you? Writer? Author for Fangraphs.com? Uh, I believe the title is Senior Editor. Senior is- Editor at Fangraphs.com. I'm Carson Sestouli. This has been Fangraphs Audio. Mm-hmm.